Today's reading comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. We'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Please follow along in your own Bibles or as the text is presented on the screens above. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face, because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their, because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out to Egypt in their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Persites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Ehad Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elohecha Ve'chol levavecha u'chol nafshecha u'chol mevodecha Everybody looks better in lower light, right? That's a kind of a principle. Yeah. The more I know God, the less I think I know about God. Uh, just you know, I don't know if that's true for you, but I find truth in that. And in a, a famous quote from Evelyn Underhill is that if if God were small enough for us to understand, He wouldn't be big enough for us to worship. And if you if you can you got to grasp that if you're going to understand who God is, just grab that grab, grab onto that truth because it will help you navigate uh, 
the big truth of who God is. In the Garden of Eden, uh, things were less complicated. There was an organic relationship between God and people. But once things set in there in Genesis chapter 3, and if you're, if you're reading along in this, you, you, you're well aware of what happened in Genesis chapter 3, um, things get complicated. And even complicated to the extent, and this is a, a, a kind of a modern phenomenon more than a, a pre-modern phenomenon, but that I hear people saying things like, I don't think, basically they don't come out and say it like this, but they say, you know, I don't think God is as just as I am. I don't think God is as loving as I am. It takes a little bit of huspah. That's a Hebrew word, right? Huspah. A lot of nerve to, to say that about God. But maybe in our own hearts we've said that. Well, Moses uh, enters in at this point for us and I think helps us. He knows something about God when we meet him here at the burning bush. I'm talking about Moses does. Moses knows some things about God, but he doesn't know God. And we're going to see that. And that question about knowing about God and knowing God is absolutely huge for us. Because what happens in Moses' life once he starts to know God is he begins to be transformed into a bigger person. And you're going to see that uh, as, hopefully, as you read along, maybe get into a group in the uh, reading through the Bible in the book of Lent now, or in the, in the uh, season of Lent now. So there you go. It's, um, the difference between knowing about God and knowing God is the key to your transformation. That's, I believe, what the text is saying to us today. And we're also going to have a chance today to come, this is, consider this whole message an invitation to come for communion, because communion isn't knowing about God, it's experiencing God. It's about knowing God, tasting and seeing God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Come and experience God. So hear this as an invitation to uh, come for communion later. I'm going to just say the logistics of that now so I don't have to fumble later, but We're going to come down this row right here and that row right there. Leave the outside rows open. And there'll be two people here serving, one here and one here, and just come and then find your way back through the outside. Did I get that right? I feel like a flight attendant. You know. Yeah, you got it. All right. Here's our outline this morning. Moses at the burning bush, here I am, and then we're going to go to, I don't know if you can see it, but who am I, and then who are you? So these are all words that basically come out of Moses' mouth as he meets God at the bush. Well, Moses is, start out, let's just start out with the way the story starts out. And we, we can't go all the way back into Moses' story, we don't have time, but Moses is basically at this point in his life a very ordinary man. With an ordinary life, he has a wife and two kids, living beyond suburbia, but he's out there. And he has an ordinary job. He's a shepherd. That would be an ordinary job. And he's in an ordinary place. It's a place that, you know, that's where you do shepherd stuff. There's nothing special about any of this until one day, you know, have you ever noticed that out of the corner of your eye is where you see things that are significant? And out of the corner of his eye, he sees something he hasn't seen before. Now, I, I ask the question just because I like to ask questions, but how many burning bushes has he passed and he just hasn't noticed? <laughs> we don't know. But how many have you passed 
and you haven't noticed. You aren't laughing, see? This is a famous quote from Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. I love blackberries, by the way, so <laughs> nothing against that. But you see that you see how this you have to notice God. And I would guess that all of us have had a burning bush out of the corner of our eye that we have either seen or not seen. And maybe we were busy picking blackberries. Well, he sees this thing, and what's what's significant about the thing he sees is that bushes don't burn without burning up. There's a source, in other words, fuel. There's something fueling that bush, and the fuel isn't being consumed. What is going on here? And he draws closer, and as he draws closer, he learns two things. I'll say about God, even though I've already sort of said that's not what the key is here, but he learns two things about God. One is that God wants him to come close. God wants you to come close. And he speaks to to Moses out of the bush. Moses, Moses calls his name. And uh, just like he did with Abraham 500 some years earlier. And Moses says the same thing. Abraham says, here I am, right? Here I am. Well, uh, God wants Moses to come close, but then in verse, of course we don't know what verse we are in as we read this uh, this version, do we? You guys know what I'm talking about? There's no verse numbers in here. It reads as story. But here's what it says. And uh, here I am, Moses says, Come close. Moses went closer. God asks or says his name out of the out of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am. And then God says, "Do not come any closer." So come closer, but do not come any closer. What is God saying here? It tells us something about God that He loves you, but He's holy. We just sang, "Holy, holy, holy." In other words, holy in a way that you have no comprehension of this side of the Garden of Eden. You've got to take off your shoes. Just a sign of understanding what holiness is. And that's just, you know, a small sign. But he asked Moses to do that. You are standing on holy ground. God uh, wants us to show up. And what is it? Woody Allen says 90% of life is showing up, right? And he show, Moses shows up. He notices. He's there. He's, here I am. The problem is, God is going to task Moses with something he's very uncomfortable with. So God identifies himself in a way that Moses can understand. I am the God of, let's hear it, I'm the God of, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay? Moses can get that. That's the God that Abraham or Moses knows about. I know about that God. He comes with that knowledge preloaded into his brain on this particular ordinary day that's going to turn extraordinary. And when Moses hears that, it's interesting, when Moses hears that, he hides his face. What's all that? What's that about? Hiding your face. 
uh, in the Bible, your faith. We're going to see this next week when we get into um, Exodus 20 or 32, 33, where there's an, an amazing experience of God or Moses asking God to show him his face. Faith in the Bible is the essence of who you are. It's your true self, your core. It's the real you. And Moses is finding out for the first time it's the real God and the real him what happens. It's an I-thou experience. There is nothing that happens. Nothing is ever the same when you have an I-thou experience with God, with the living God. Moses hides his face. Moses feels inadequate to the moment. Uh, I always think of uh, on the news when someone hides their face. This is, it's called a perp walk in, in, in our world. It's when the media sees somebody who's done something wrong. We live in a world that says we don't shame other people. That's a joke, folks. We regularly shame other people, and this is one of the ways we do it. But what do people do when they, when they realize, what do they do? They hide their face. You see it all the time in the news. The, the guy in chains trying to hide his face with his chained hands. Well, that's what Moses does in response to God's holiness. He feels exposed. You get whatever you can. You get you know, in the Bible. You know, in the Garden of Eden, it was fig leaves. It's nice clothes. It's titles. It's personas. It's whatever you can find to put on that covers up your nakedness. We do it all the time. We did it this morning. We have ways. We have things that we project to hide our true selves. And it's absolutely normal and natural in a fallen world. The problem is we think, where we don't realize we really do it, we think it's eternally somehow good that we do it. And it's, it's less than that. We'll see as, as Moses goes on, he doesn't do that so much anymore. Transformation of Moses. All right, here I am. That's the first thing Moses says. And then he asks, who am I? Why does he ask, who am I? Well, you would too. When, if God were to ask you, you're, you're, a, you're a shepherd on an ordinary day. What do you have in your hand if you're a shepherd? A staff, basically a stick, right? And God is saying, you, Moses, with that stick in your hand, are going to defeat the greatest nation in the world. What do you say? You say, who am I? The stick. That's not going to work. It's a uh, very, very difficult uh, assignment that God is giving to Moses. The thing you might remember about Moses is that he tried to do this once before, 40 years earlier, and things did not go well. In fact, the people said to him, who are you to rule over us? Remember when he tried to do some justice stuff back there 40 years ago? Straighten things out amongst the Hebrews. And he ended up, he ended up killing an Egyptian. And, and his attempt to be that deliverer is kind of like his big failure in life. And yet God's going to ask him to do something differently now, or the same thing now in a different way than he did 40 years ago. He's, as far as Moses knows, he's still on the wanted posters back there in Egypt. 
and he stutters. And all he has is a stick. And all he is is an ordinary guy out trying to, I mean, he's got a life and he likes his job and he doesn't need a lot of drama in his life. So the question that um, the text is asking us at this point is do your failures, and we, you know, we all have our list of failures, do your failures disqualify you from something greater or qualify you for something greater? I mean, that's, that's really the question here before Moses. And it's a question that we would do well to ask ourselves. If you look back on your life at your failures, have you allowed them to disqualify you from greater things? Or do they become that which you learn from, grow from, and somehow become part of your story, weaved into the grace of God working in your life? When uh, I was just a young Christian in my early 20s, I I had a friend who was really instrumental in leading me to Christ. And about a year into my walk with God, we got together and he told me that he was getting a divorce. And and I just remember how it was hard for me to hear that, but it was hard for him to tell me that. But he said something. This was at a, do you remember Godfather's Pizza? This is a Coke at Godfather's Pizza. He told me that he feels qualified for the first time in his life to walk in the grace of God. His failure led him to walk in the grace of God in a way that he never could have otherwise. It didn't disqualify him. It became a, a reset point for him to build on in his life. Does your failure, and, and everybody here in this room, well, I won't, I won't embarrass anybody, but if you haven't had a failure, raise your hand. How's that? Yeah. You fail to raise your hand. So you, yeah. We're all failures. God then makes two promises to Moses. Moses is rather nervous, obviously. And God makes two promises to him. The first is that I will be with you. Um, I will be with you. Who am I? You're right. You're really not qualified based on your resume, except for we're going to use that failure. But I'm going to make you two promises. I will be with you. All you have to do is keep showing up. Just keep saying, here I am. You've said it today. Just keep saying, here I am. And then I'm going to give you a sign, God says. And the sign, uh, or God says to Moses, look over at that mountain there. What's that mountain called? It's called Mount Sinai. This becomes very big in the story, right? And... It's a sign, but what God is doing is asking Moses to use his imagination. Imagine, not too far from now, he doesn't say when it's going to be, but it, as, as the story unfolds, it's really not that far away, maybe, maybe weeks or months down the road. You're going to be there with leading the whole nation of Israel in worship of me. Can you see that? Can you see that? And... He throws in things like, 
I'm going to take you to a better land, a land that I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a land flowing with milk and honey. You guys know that part. Yeah. We learn about God something here, that God doesn't want to just save us from something. He wants to take us into something, not just out of, but into. So we're not just going to get out of slavery. We're not just going to get out of Egypt. We're going to go to a place that is rich and wonderful. And I can hear Moses singing a song that, uh, from one of my favorite artists from the well, for a long time now, Bruce Coburn, Canadian artist. In the in 1980s, he had a song, If I Had a Rocket Launcher. <laughs> and, he, and he uses all this. That's the name of the song, If I Had a Rocket Launcher. And Moses said, If I had a rocket launcher, I could do everything you're saying, God, but all I have is this stick. You know? Moses isn't quite convinced yet. The greatest army in the world. But imagination is powerful. What I want to do here is, is just hover over this a little bit because we're going to see Moses transformed as time goes on. And I, uh, these are three of, uh, famous, uh, in, at least in my world, they're famous quotes or sayings. So the first one is, we are wounded in community and we will be healed in community. How many of you like that? If you've been wounded in community, you don't want to hear And who hasn't been wounded in community, whether it's a family or a church or whatever? You don't want to hear that. There's a reason Moses is out in the middle of nowhere for 40 years. And we would rather stew in our anger and fear than go back towards that community that hurt us, that rejected us. But that is true. He needs to be healed of his anger and fear. And the only way it's going to happen is if you go back to those people who were so bad to you that you tried to save and they didn't like that. I don't, think, I don't know anybody who likes that quote, but I, can't, I don't know anybody who can prove it wrong. And I want you to search your heart as I search mine and say, what is the community I need to walk toward? Somebody who has hurt me and the only way forward in my life is by re-entering into that community. Now, you've got to be careful. There's exceptions here that you've got to be watchful of. But in general, that is true. Moses is going to find out. Unless your imagination is bigger than your memories, you have no future. I don't know who... You know, these are, these are things that I've heard over time, and I wish I could credit those to somebody because I know that they've been said by somebody with more credentials than me, but I don't know who to accredit. You see that mountain over there, Moses, the one that I just, we just brought up? You see that? Just imagine that. Imagine being there. And whatever that is in your life, but, but using your imagination in a positive way, instead of using it to be dominated by fear and anger. And, and just think about, in Moses' life, where did it start out? It started out with, Moses was one of the lucky ones. He wasn't drowned in the Nile River. Remember that story? The Hebrew midwives trying to save at least some of these little Hebrew children that were being born, the little boys anyway, that were being born and, and drowned in the Nile River. 
Well, Moses, imagine Pharaoh's army being drowned in the Red Sea. That's going to happen. Unless your imagination is bigger than your memory, you have no future. I mean, Moses has got this huge future, and God's not even, he's just touching on it. He doesn't give him everything, but you've got to have an imagination if you're going to have a future. And then the third one, this is from Russell Moore. Where's the next Billy Graham? He may be drunk right now. And that's good news. You see, God can do anything. God, where, where's the Moses? Where's the leader that's going to take us out of Israel or out of Egypt? The people are saying, oh, he's out tending sheep right now. I don't know who said that when I was a college student drunk right now, but I'm so glad that God can do anything. Right? And religious people see that and they, they don't know what to do. Think of the early church. Where's, where's our great leader going to come from? Oh, he's killing Christians right now. That's, that would be Paul. We limit what God can do. And, um, and then on top of that, I'll just throw this one in there, but over and over again, as, as we read these texts, God refers to himself as the God of Abraham. You guys said it earlier. And who? And now, just without being judgmental towards those three guys, were, were they on their game all the time? Weren't there just tons of failures there? So what is God saying? And, and you could go to David and whoever. I am the God who works with failures. I am the God who can take somebody who's drunk right now and make him into, you know. Well, there's some things to consider in Moses' transformation. And it's going to be amazing what we see in his life. So that's who Moses is or who he will become. But who is God? Who are you, God? And this is one of those high water marks in the scripture. And I'll just say that, that, that it, there's, you know, there's peaks and valleys in scripture. And this is when God reveals his personal name, uh, it's a big deal. It really is. Um, what, what people are going to be asking, Moses, the way he comes at asking this, it is, this isn't directly the way he says it. He says, what if they ask me who is sending me? <laughs> and, and he kind of like hypothetically, and because he knows his credentials aren't all that great, he needs to make sure that whoever, you know, he needs to have an answer. So it's kind of funny to see how it plays out. But here's, here's what we can say about God revealing his personal name. Yahweh, uh, it, we really don't know how to pronounce it. In the Hebrew, it's Y-H-W-H. There's no vowels. So everything's a guess as far as how you pronounce it. Uh, but we have uh, assigned a few vowels, and we might as well go with Yahweh because we don't know what else to do in Hebrew. Yeah. The name reveals the character of God. Uh, name in the, in the scriptures generally reveals character. It's not a title, in other words. Uh, we tend to make it into a title. Uh, when you name someone or something, you are in authority over them. And so just, this is just a warning that we cannot name God. He, he names himself. And that's why uh, 
in the Ten Commandments or Mount Sinai, naming God's name is very is very holy. This is the name of God that we're talking about. Uh, it's translated Lord with capital letters in our Bibles, and I just throw that, that that's how you'll see it in, in most of the translations today. And it's 6,800 times. That's a lot of times in the Old Testament. And it's meaning in Hebrew. And here's, here's the part, because what the, what the Hebrew people are really wanting to know is what is the meaning of this guy? Whatever his name is, is what does it mean for us? And uh, we'll get into this a little bit more, but literally it means I am who I am or I will be who I will be. Either one. It's either, it can go either way. Now, if somebody, if you were to ask somebody their name and they say, in sort of a 60s hippie voice, I am who I am, sort of guru type thing, or I will be, I mean, what would you, you know, what would you, how would you respond to that? Well, that's weird. Okay, so let's just pause a little bit. The philosophers and the theologians, when they hear this, the name being defined in this way. It's, it's a wonderful thing if you can get into that conversation, but it isn't that, you know, it goes all, it's, it's very high and lofty, very abstract, and it has to do with God being self-existent. Those are the, the that's a key phrase, that there was no cause to him beginning. There is no beginning point for God. He is eternal. I am who I am is always, it, there's never been a time where I am who I am didn't exist. He's always been. And it, you, can, you can think, uh, you know, get into brain overload on all that stuff. And that would be, that's okay. But that is not, and this is, this is what biblical scholars would try to say. Let's bring it down a little bit because that's definitely not what the Hebrew people who were enslaved wanted to hear or needed to hear or that's not what God intended them to hear. What did they need to hear? I mean, they're not into philosophical, theological, who is God kind of stuff. They want to know that this personal God cares about them and they're crying out to him, does he hear me? You know, basic stuff. And so uh, we have to go to Exodus chapter 6. And I'm gonna, this is quick. How are we doing on time? I can't see the clock. I can't. It's probably off anyway. Um, no light in the room. Yeah. Real quick. Um, this is this is elaborating on this whole this whole thought of who am who who am I? Or Moses, tell them this. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord thy God. I am. I will free you from your oppression. I will rescue you from your slavery. I will redeem you with a powerful arm. And I will claim you as my own people. This is who God is. This is the name of God. I am all that. <laughs> I'm a, I do stuff. I care about you. I love you. I hear, I hear the injustice being done to you. And here's what he says finally is, then you will know me. You will not know about me. You will know me. This is where we started. This is where we're ending. Knowing God. And the, the Hebrew word for know is the word yada. Yada, yada, yada. Right? Okay, there's my joke. But yada, it means to know. And it doesn't mean to know cognitively. It doesn't mean go to school and hear about who God is. It means to know and experience the living God the way Moses is here at the bush. In fact, it's used as an inf- uh, euphemism for sex in the Bible. The man knew his wife and 
she got pregnant, whatever. That's, that's how the Hebrew uses this word. It's a very relational, experiential word. That is who God is. He is the one who does all that stuff. And he wants you to know him. That's the revelation that Moses gets at the burning bush. So the question I'm going to ask you, and we're going to come to communion here in just a minute, do you believe in God? Moses believed in God when he came to the bush. Do you know that the demons believe in God? Believing in God, in that sense, is is not the goal. Do you know God? That's different. Do you know God? Do you know him in that you have experienced him? This is the invitation to come to communion. And by the way, it's, it's an invitation, not a commandment. And you can come to the table today and just say, here I am. With all my failure, with all my flaws, with everything that you know about me, here I am. And who am I? And who are you? Well, we have a picture of the who are you as Scripture goes on. Uh, 1,500 years after this, we have the person of Jesus Christ whom we can get a very, very clear picture of who God is from. It's that um, snapshot moment of who God is. And one day, Jesus was... In, in making himself clear to those, uh, to, he was talking to Jewish leaders in John chapter 8, and he was describing who he was. And he said, before Abraham was, so that Abraham, to do the math, 2,200 years before Christ, before Abraham was, I am. And they were, they were saying, well, you're not even 50 years old yet. How can you say that? What's Jesus saying? I am the God who was in that bush 1,500 years ago. I am the God who was before Abraham. I am the God who is I am. I am who I am before everything was created. There is no cause to me. I cause everything. That's Jesus Christ. And he is the one you can know. And you can know him tasting and seeing him at this table, experiencing him.